My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Brian Turner. Hello, Brian Turner. Hi. Brian Turner is usually here with Garrett Frawley. It's true. His writing partner. And they are affectionately known on this podcast as the Christmas Guys. But Garrett couldn't make it today. Garrett couldn't make it. And you know what his excuse was? He was doing Christmas stuff. Yeah, he had a Christmas party to attend. (laughs) Lame, lame. But uh, so we have a Christmas guy. Thanks for being here, Christmas guy. Hey, no problem. The reason that Brian Turner is called the Christmas guy is that he's been coming in Almost every Christmas, sometimes I'll forget and be like, could we do Christmas in July? Last year, I completely screwed it up, so we had a blue Christmas without you. Oh, so sad. (laughs) But he comes in every Christmas because he also has written tons of Christmas stuff in the past. It's true. Santa Baby, Santa Baby 2, Snow Globe, and... A Christmas love? What is my, it? Called? It's my Christmas love. My Christmas love. Oh, 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 So, so that's of course what makes him the Christmas guy. But in addition to that, he also uh, wrote for Gordimer Gibbons' Life on Normal Street, which was my now thirteen-year-old daughter's favorite show. Yeah. And she came on and co-hosted last time and asked you all kinds of questions. It's true. She asked you so many questions. I had to edit it. <laughs> She asked very good questions, too. It wasn't just silly stuff. She did. Both of my daughters are way better at this than I am. Um, Also, you've been working on Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, which you talked about last time you were on the show, just having gotten it set up. Yeah, last time we had just finished the pilot, and now we've finished the series. So, my God. It's been so long. My gosh. So, I'm here to catch up with Brian, but also he likes answering questions. And, of course, I have an inbox still filled with questions. So I thought maybe um, Brian could help me uh, answer one or two of those. Hit me. Well, let's start first, though, with you. What's okay. been up to? What's been going on? All right. So last time we were here, we had just finished, as I said, uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, the pilot uh, for Amazon. We subsequently went and did a season. It was a very short season. It was a six-episode season. Uh, that wrapped up early this spring. Uh, I don't know that we'll do a second season. Amazon is kind of shifting their priorities. Um, before shooting the season, but after shooting the pilot, we made My Christmas Love, a uh, Hallmark Christmas movie, which if you, uh, if you listeners go back to earlier podcasts, you'll hear us talking about a movie called 12 Days that was in Turnaround. Ah, This is go. that movie. We resold something we had already sold. So. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, it's the best. So when, when you hear about in turnaround, sometimes it means like nothing's going on, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes it means it's really turning around to something else. Right. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So that was, um, I think the budget when we originally wrote it was like $6 million, but the Hallmark budget was like $1.5. So, so you was, took out the sea monsters. Yeah, it was, right. it was, uh, it was a quick, uh, very scaled down rewrite of 
the things that we knew by then that we could not do on this budget. Oh, can you give um, me an example of just one of them? Because I'm sure. it's a so, Christmas movie, so I'm imagining like, I don't know, kill the North Pole, something like that. No, no, <laughs> this, is, this is the the story of the movie is a a, a woman uh, who lives in presumably Boston or New York City is traveling home to uh, New England to Vermont or or Maine um, to visit her family. So we had scenes that took place in the car and she's you know traveling with a friend. So they're talking in the car, but to shoot a scene talking in the car, you need a camera truck, a tow rig. It's expensive and complicated to shoot just what seems like a very simple scene. And you know, one of the things you lose when you lose budget is time. So shooting a scene that takes place in a car is an all day thing, right? So the first thing we did, even before we had our first notes meeting was every scene that took place in a moving car became a scene that took place as they're getting out of a car where they arrived Ah. or as they're loading luggage into the car or, you know, pulled over on the side of the road, waiting for the cop to come up, like no movement of the car, (laughs) still have the car, still have all the scenes, just changed what's actually happening in the scene to make it shootable. That is a great tip for people if they're trying to make their own movie or they're trying to to get it in at a certain budget for a certain kind of producer that might not have that money. That's great. Isn't that so funny? Because yeah, I mean, it never goes on my radar personally. Every time I read a script that has a car scene in it, I'm not sitting there going, "Ooh, they're in a car. That is expensive." But right, wow, I guess and it it's is. you know, I mean, it's not expensive like blowing up a building expensive, but it's expensive in the sense of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you're shooting that day as opposed to shooting six pages or four pages or, you know, however many you're going to shoot. So limiting locations, limiting characters, if you don't need them, not moving in a car, <laughs> all, all very helpful things. And tell me about something else that's going on. Cause, cause didn't you? It's true. Yay. Yeah. So and, there's a project and Brian goes, and I can actually name what it is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Garrett and I have taken a job at DreamWorks animation working on trolls, which is the, uh, there was an animated movie, um, starring Justin Timberlake and Hannah Kendrick and everything. And they've, and, and DreamWorks animation has made animated shows of just about every movie they've made mm-hmm. uh, for Netflix. So this is 104 episodes. Wow. Uh, we came in at the halfway mark, so we had to read 52 episodes to get up to speed, and now we're pushing our way through the, the remaining 52. Oh, my God. Right. And it has been very hush-hush. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the sort of thing where you could look at the history and kind of conclude that they're also doing it for trolls since they did it for everything, everything else yeah. up to this point. But um, we officially announced, I think, two, two, three days ago. So now I can say, yes, we're working on Trolls. Now, are you the showrunners on it? No, we are story editors, which in live action is a very low rank. Uh, it's it's one step above staff writer. But in animation is actually more like the showrunner. Um, in animation, the what would normally be a showrunner on a normal show usually is teamed up with a director for that show, sort of the in-house director for the show. The in-house director is dealing with things like shots and and how a thing looks, whatever. And the story, you know, the the showrunner has input on that. But on animation, there's just one guy who's doing all that stuff, designing characters and, and you know, approving casting and all that other stuff. So the showrunner for the show has his hands completely full. Uh, so Garrett and I are, are, as story editors, are more running the room, generating story ideas, you know, uh, accomplishing the notes he gives us on scripts. So it's kind of like a, sh- a showrunner for a live action, but like half of that job. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a different world. 
Congratulations. Thank you. I've heard that DreamWorks Animation has really good food. Yeah. I mean, they, they feed us a lot. I'm putting on weight like crazy. <laughs> yeah, They need to, to keep you there. I know. Now, how, how long from script to show? Because everybody who comes on who does animation says it takes forever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for, for us, um, it's probably about a month between when we get a script. Like, this is the record draft of the script. And when we're seeing our first animatics of it, mm-hmm. um, we have... You know, our in-house team is designing characters, doing backgrounds and, and drawing animatics just to get everyone up to speed. And animatic is a crude animation of the show um, that basically shows you everything that's going to happen. But it's not fully it's not color. It's not fully articulated. You don't have the full lip sync or anything. It's just this is what we think is going to happen. And you get a very good idea of what the show is going to be. It's just not fully completed. So. It's about a month between our thing and, and first animatic, probably about two weeks between first animatic and second animatic, which is just accomplishing notes that were given. And then it gets sent off to Korea. <laughs> and then it's like six months or something <laughs> before it comes back uh, fully animated. So we, you know, we started at the midway point and we're just now seeing the full animated of the first eight or so episodes that they did, you know, that they started 50 uh, a year earlier. So. Do you think that Sigmund was a nice sort of a segue into this because because of the sort of animated feeling of the main character or or are they different animals as far as scripting goes? Um, they're different. They're different animals as far as production goes. It's still kid uh, space. Um, Sigmund was a good stepping stone because we're coming off of Gordimer, which was very earnest and um, heartfelt and a fantastic show, but was geared towards sort of older kids and Sigmund ended up being geared towards younger kids. And then now we're in animation, which is a little bit sillier. We still try and be emotionally true and have caring moments and, and all the other stuff. But largely it's, you know, it's more about the fun than it is about, you know, dealing with a character's mother's death or something, you know, sort of bigger. So are you ready to answer some questions or are there totally other ready. things that I should know about to that are all things Brian and Garrett? Not that I'm allowed to talk. About <laughs> I'll tell you all about stuff after we're done recording. <laughs> but I, I just love having you on because every, every year or in this case, every two years, there's always something brand new to talk about, right. you know, and you, you've also, I don't know, it, it feels like you really take in the lessons of, of, of whatever experience you have, and then you're able to tell us about sure. it on the show. So well, thank you. Well, you know, advice, advice for the listeners. There are people who are following a path in Hollywood where it's like, I want to write the next Star Wars film. That's great. Great for you. But that's not an easy job to get. Mm-hmm. Hallmark made 30 Christmas movies last year. 30. That's a lot of material that they need. So mm-hmm. if you want to go for the highest mountain, more power to you. I wish you all the luck in the world, but you can have a very solid, very long career, not going for the tallest mountain, but going for medium range mountains and you can climb all year. So why not? Yeah. Why not? Look, I got some friends and they're going to Everest, right? Right. And they're going to base camp, you know, and they're like, oh, it's just base camp. It's like, no, you have to, you have to really, really climb to get to even base camp. Right. And then you have to sit at base camp for six months 
And then maybe a storm comes in and you can't actually climb because of the weather. Right. Exactly. So, so yes, your mountain analogy is It's working excellent. out really it's well, really good. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, and what you really need to help climb is a Sherpa, <laughs> someone who can guide you, someone who knows the path. And, uh, uh, do Sherpas get to wear like those, those cute fake fur hoods? Because I want to do that. If I'm going to be, if I'm the Sherpa in this analogy, I would really yeah. like to I'm guessing the Sherpas are not along. wearing fake no, I hoods. know, but I can't say fork <laughs> because they, they'd be fake if it was me, right? right? Can't do that. My fur, my God. Of course, uh, I'm not on this mountain because that will never happen right. because I faint like the minute I get to like the 12th <laughs> floor of something. So, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're so it's in over. a very tall building in Glendale. <laughs> okay, so here we are. I've got my inbox up and this one says inbox two because we already did an inbox show with with letters going painfully back, I mean, like to 2014. <laughs> As this, let's see, the oldest one is, is 2015 here, but we're not dear, even going to do this. I'm just Pilar, too shamed. I've, I've just heard about a new thing called YouTube. What is this? I know. I know. I'm so bad. Okay, so here. Um, I want to start with, let's see, uh, Craig Griffiths. Um, who is a, a listener, and he sent in something with with the music logline uh, contest. But he just asked, out of interest, would you suggest writing a logline at the start of the process, during the writing, or at the end? And I know what I would say, but what would you say? My answer is yes. Yeah, that would be mine too, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you start a project thinking, I'm going to write a story about this and then you get partway through it and it's becoming something else. And mm -hmm. then when you get to the end, it kind of helps to look back and say, okay, what did I actually write? You know, it's good to know what you're trying to write and to write what you're trying to write and have a clean outline and everything like that. But sometimes as you're telling the story, it's like this character is more interesting, right? This story is more interesting. You know, I'm, I'm writing a story about a cop that's chasing a criminal. The cop's kind of boring. The criminal's really interesting. I'm writing a story about a criminal that's evading a cop. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. The log line sort of sets your goals. Then you might start to outline. And as you said, your story might try and ch might change, or you might get lost. Go back to your log line and see what your original intention was. Right. Maybe that will help you. If it doesn't and it's changed, yeah, change it up. So now you have new goals. And like you said, at the very, very end of it, now you're going to need a log line, which really represents what it is so that you can verbally pitch it to people. Right. So yes, Craig, <laughs> all of those things. Um, let's see. Okay. So uh, Lynn in Connecticut, um, has been listening for a while and we've been exchanging emails that say eyeballs at the top. Okay. And the reason it says eyeballs is because I got this really bogus surgery on my eyes so I could read Okay. like one eye so I could read and then one eye so you so could distance. see the dead. And so right. I just go around like completely dizzy and disoriented all the time. Nice. I can't see anything. So nice. she had written me this really nice letter and then she wrote me one about the last podcast with Ezra and all kinds of stuff. So, so I love her. But she said, um, she, had, she had a lot of questions and I've been saving them for somebody like you. She said, I was wondering if you would consider asking an appropriate guest about the nitty gritty steps from pitching to getting hired to the writer's room. Okay, so okay. I'm gonna like give you all of her questions at one time. See so sure. whatever you wanna do. Absolutely. How do you get hired? Is there a contract? What's that like? Did a lawyer review it before you signed it? How do you get the info about your first day? Where do you park if it's a big studio? <laughs> what do you eat during the day? Where does the food come from? So 
those are these land are, and Connecticut questions. <laughs> questions. But I think a lot of people have these sure. questions. Um, some of this will change depending on where you are. But a, a typical scenario would be, um, I've let's say I've written a pilot. Uh, we've shot the pilot. It tested well. The studio has decided that they want to make the show. I now need four or five, right? depending on how many episodes I have and how long the script is. Let's say I need four writers. I am going to interview writers. I'm going to first have scripts submitted to me as the producer, as the writer producer. Um, and we'll go through them and look and say, okay, does this person, you know, is their tone similar to mine? Do I like their writing? Stuff like that. Those scripts will come from the executives we worked with writing friends that I know. They may be scripts from friends of mine. They may come from my agent. They may come from other agents that we've reached out to. They could come from anywhere. Largely people will want to hire at least two or three people that have a lot of experience, typically people they've worked with because they're familiar with them. Um, but those people are very expensive and you have a specific budget. So you say, okay, I, I can afford four really, really experienced writers, or I can afford seven if I get two really experienced writers and five not so experienced writers. So it, it's a, it's a bit of a balancing game. Um, you pick the, the scripts that you like, then let's say you're, you're going to, um, say you have 10 scripts you like to fill four roles. You bring the people in, you'll meet with them, you'll talk to them. What you're looking for is, is this someone I can spend a lot of time with in a very small room? Because that's what the writer's room is. It's a pretty small room with six, eight people in it who you are going to spend 10, 12, 14 hours a day with every day for the next six months to six years, depending on how long the, the show is going to go. Um, so you talk to the people and we should, we should tell the people there is a table saw outside. If you hear something in the background. Yes, yes, yes. But it's, uh, you it, know, it's, it's, it's intermittent. Background. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> so you, you talk to the people, then, um, your, uh, the, uh, business affairs people at the network you're working for, at the studio you're working for, will reach out to the agents of the people who you've been talking to, and those agents will then try and negotiate a price. And, you know, like I said earlier, expensive people, less expensive people, you may be able to get someone cheaper than you thought. You may not be able to. It's a balancing act from there. But that will all happen at the agent or lawyer level of, you know, figuring out what's in the contract, signing the contract. And typically, I won't even be aware of those negotiations other than to be told this person is way too expensive. Hmm. You know, we, we can't get, you know, A and B and C. We can get A and C or B and C or A and B, but we can't get all three. Um, but I won't know the specifics of your contract. Your lawyer will review it. If you don't have, let's say you're a brand new writer. You, I don't know how I got your script, but I got your script somehow. You don't have an agent. You don't have a lawyer. It's the easiest thing in the world to get an agent or a lawyer if you're being offered a job on a TV show. Sure. Oh, 10% of something I didn't have to work for? Uh -huh. Exactly. No they will problem. absolutely sign you up. You may not get the top agent at the top agency, but you will definitely get an agent and you can very easily get a lawyer. Uh, they'll review the contract. They'll show you the contract. You'll generally agree to it. You won't understand most of what's in the contract. And it won't matter because most of what's in the contract is WGA standard protocol. And you'll probably get the absolute minimum based on WGA because you're just starting out. And that's fine because the absolute minimum based on WGA is still pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. you know? Then you'll get, a, you'll get reached out to by uh, either the marketing department, um, I'm sorry, the business affairs department directly or my assistant or likely me, I would call you and say, hey, great, I'm so happy that you're going to be on the show. 
you'll be getting some information shortly in your email. And then my assistant would then email you. Here's where you're starting. Here's where you're parking. You know, um, here's who you should call if you have any questions, whatever. You get there. We find an office for you. We find the writer's room. And then, depending on where you're working, they are maybe lunch brought in. Uh, they may take orders and send a PA to go get lunch. Uh, if you're in production, typically you'll just eat with the casting crew if the writer's room is near where you're producing. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes the writer's room is in California and the show is being shot in Vancouver. Um, or if you're you know, at a major studio, they'll have like the commissary that you'll go down to, you know, if you're at Paramount or whatever, you'll go down to what's essentially a cafeteria and get lunch there. And it's yummy there. And it is the yummy there. The food is good. Yeah. 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 And there's always a lot of discussion about where we're going for lunch and what we're going to pick up. Usually people don't go for lunch. It's brought in just because the amount of time you lose, everybody's splitting up and going someplace. But that's not to say that you personally can't go for lunch when your mom is in town or whatever, you know, not really an issue. I can't believe you answered all those questions. I know. I can't believe you remember all those questions in order. It's incredible. What vitamins are you taking? Because I think I forgot it after like the the second question. The food is the most important question because that's what most of the discussion is. Where are we going? (laughs) Who's going to get it? And, and that's where PAs, this is, this is my other advice. Um, PAs are poorly paid and they're Mm -hmm. young and they may end up being someone be nice to PAs. Mm Mm-hmm. Typically, PAs get yelled at if they screw up the lunch mm-hmm. menu. And it's, you know, I've had my lunch screwed up a number of times by the PAs. Just put yourself in their shoes. Don't scream at the PAs. Just, it's a sandwich. Don't scream at anybody. Don't scream at anybody. Exactly. Why would a grown-up scream at another grown-up ever? Mm. You know? That's, but it happens. That's crazy. Or scream at anybody. Kids too. Although I have been known. <laughs> <laughs> Clean up your room. I said it. Okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> okay. So Celia Gray. Hi, Celia. Um, she has a question about writing geographies of a scene for screenplays. She says, one of my biggest issues is that I get overwhelmed um, and paralyzed when I'm trying to describe the physical details of a location that the scene takes place. Um, she said she was reading a couple of scenes from the shooting draft of Disney's Frozen and noticed that how she wrote her scenes in Frozen were very clear and concise. Not too much detail, but not very little either, just enough to describe the scenes without cluttering the page with scene descriptions. So she wants some advice, although she may have just given herself right. her own de- advice because whatever Jennifer Lee did well that Sylvia's responding to, she should she should check it out. Sure. I, I'd like to, to start answering this question by just reminding Celia that one thing that we've talked about on, on the show is the personality of a room, the personality of a place, describing the essence of it. So if you said that it was uh, uh, an office better suited to a frat boy than a CEO, then right. the set decorators could do their job. The reader is engaged by that and gets a nice visual sense of it, and it doesn't go into every single detail. You kind of know from that there's there might be posters on the wall or right. a, a bong on the desk. You know, right. the geography only matters if it's a plot point. Hmm. So, for example, let's let's use Hamlet. Uh, when Hamlet kills Polonius, Polonius is hiding behind a curtain in his mother's bedroom. So that bedroom needs to have curtains that someone can hide behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But other than that. It could be a round room. It could be a square room. It could be an octagon. It could be at the top of a tower. It could be at the bottom of a tower. It doesn't matter. Um, largely, it 
doesn't really matter what you write it to be if you're writing it physically because you're not going to be there <laughs> when the scout finds it and says, okay, this is where we're shooting. Um, you know, that that'll end up being this, the location scout and the director, and they'll be determining how stuff looks, you know, in, in the thing. So evocative writing is fantastic. Um, describing it in terms of other things like it's, it's a coffee shop, but it feels like a 1950s diner or it's a coffee shop and it feels like a, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of those, uh, the hidden, uh, during prohibition, oh. the speakeasies. Ah, yeah. And, and it feels like a speakeasy because right. it's tucked in a back alley and there's no sign or something like that. That's all great. That tells them what you're trying to evoke image wise, but can they find that in Kansas city? Maybe. Can they find it in Toronto? Maybe, you know, you're, um, you're bound in a little bit by what what they're actually going to find, not what you imagine. But I think if I was a location person, I'd go, okay, I get the mood. I get, exactly. I get yeah. what this is supposed to feel like. And even if I can't find a diner that looks like a speakeasy, it could be a diner that still has that sort of secretive right. backroom kind of feeling to it. And I think this is what the, the writer's going for. Exactly. And then see if it all, all works. Yeah, where you get mired down is if, is if you're reading a script and it's like, and then on the left wall, there's uh. this and this. And on the right wall, there's this. And there's a door there. And that door was this. And it's like, nobody cares. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Unless somebody is, like you said, hiding behind that door or that curtain, don't mention it. Right. Thank you, Celia, for another wonderful question. She asks a lot of really good ones. Um, let's see. Oh, I want to address a log line because this guy sent a log line and I, he didn't, he didn't send it for the log line competition, mm -hmm. but I had it in my inbox to, to give him some feedback. And then we had the log line competition and I should have filtered it in. So I yep. feel really bad about that. So I wanted just to address <laughs> the log line. So, so in a way he has actually won the competition. Well, I guess so, because we're giving some extra so much more feedback attention. to him. Yeah. So this is Michael Benedoso, um, and he writes West Point 2007. How about that? It's, it's in his thing. Michael, oh, that's, so he graduated from West oh, okay. Point 2007. I thought that was the log line. I I'm know. Like, I need more. Okay. <laughs> the log line is, after a brash, unfiltered army soldier gets unexpectedly discharged from the army, he enrolls at a PCUC Berkeley where he has to navigate a new culture, follow new rules, and battle an uptight student president set on expelling him. I think I added A, and that's not right. He enrolls at PCUC Berkeley, like sure. PC in quotes. So we've got a brash, unfiltered army soldier, gets unexpectedly discharged, mm -hmm. enrolls at of PC school where he has to navigate a new culture, follow new rules and battle an uptight student president set on expelling him. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to comment on how it's phrased and why don't you comment on what you might think is the viability of sure. the idea. So the way that it's phrased, um, we have unfiltered army soldier and PC school. And I guess what that says to me is, well, that's where the conflict is unfiltered. But if you want to go even further, we could go to his politics, you know, right. if you wanted to sort of amp it up. But either way, I think maybe just saying a PC college rather than UC Berkeley. Right. Will will help. Um, yeah, let's see what else. I really like the has to navigate a new culture, follow new rules and battle an uptight president. Um, maybe set on expelling him doesn't have to be there. 
But anyway, that's that's what I would just say sure. is get rid of the the name of the school, possibly shorten it a little bit with, you know, the uptight student president. Right. What I'd say is I don't know if this is a comedy or a drama or oh. a political thing. Like, is is this a reverse Animal House? Huh. Or is this um, Lions for Lambs? Oh, that's interesting. You know, and and that's really going to be <laughs> determinative depending on who you send it to, you know, whether a production company wants to read it. Because if I'm looking for a college comedy, you know, if I'm, I don't even know if National Lampoon still makes movies, but if I'm National Lampoon, I'm making a lot of movies about, you know, people and, and authority figures and girls in bikinis bouncing around and soap bubbles everywhere and fun stuff like that. I would read a script about, you know, a, a kid rebelling against the university. Mm-hmm. I would not want to read a script about a guy who is having uh, uh, holding a, a court case against the student, you know, affairs bureau. And, you know, it, it's more like a court story, but the mm-hmm. stakes are whether or not he gets expelled from school and there's nothing silly or fun about it, mm-hmm. you know, and vice versa. If I'm, you know, trying to do a searchlight movie, I might do that more than I would do a bikini sudsy national lampoon type movie. Well, to me, I, I think, I think comedy might be more what Michael's going for because we have that unfiltered army soldier. So that, sure. that suggests, you know, a lot of crazy truths are going to come out of his mouth. Right. And then PC being like that, like this guy and PC. Universe. Yeah, it's, it's but, probably a comedy, but I would say a comedy about, you know, yeah, just for clarity. So maybe or get 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 the action a little bit more comedic. So instead right. of navigate a new culture. You know, right. what would be, there might be, um, a verb that like upends. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, follow new rules or you could say, follow what kind of rules? Maybe, right. maybe the adjective for rules is again, lends itself to comedy. Um, uptight student president totally works. Um, so yeah. So maybe more of those descriptive verbs or adjectives that are comedic. Right. I think that's a very, very good suggestion. Okay. Michael. Um, I hope it's okay we did it on the show, <laughs> but uh, uh, you got some really, you know, expert analysis here from a from a working writer. Um, let's see. <laughs> let's see. Um, Lisa Marie. This goes back to January of 2016. Um, Okay, well, she she at the time was writing a TV spec script for Shameless, okay? okay. Uh, mostly for practice, but also as a sample. And her question was, do I make up a random plot that has nothing to do with it, what's happening on the show, or do I use what's happening this season? Um, so what is your advice there? I would say do a plot that is sort of standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, typically on Shameless, I, I watched a lot of the first couple of seasons of Shameless, but I've dropped off since. So there may be a, a season in which the dad is, you know, um, has committed a crime and, and the whole season, his whole season arc is whether or not he's going to get away with it. If you do something set in the middle of that season and I'm someone who's reading it who isn't familiar with the show, you're not paying off your story at all. Mm. So the better thing to do is, is sort of a bottle episode idea where um, – in this one particular episode, we're dealing with a problem that deals that is this episode. And you can reference issues that have been going on. If, if this couple is having marital problems, then mention that. If some character has been missing this whole season, you can leave them out of your episode. 
but try and write an episode that even if I've never seen the show or if I've only seen one episode of the show, I can understand what's going on in this episode. Um, years ago, a friend of mine was someone suggested that he write a spec 24. Like, well, how do you write a spec 24? This takes place between four o'clock and five o'clock during a terrorist attack. Like you're not telling enough of a story there. Got it. Got it. Um, can you, can you do, I mean, it seems like, uh, previously on has become a thing because so many things are serialized now that it is impossible to do a spec for that show without, and, and have it be a standalone episode. It needs to be part of something that's starting and pushes you toward the sure. next episode. Sure. But, you know, again, from the, from the point of view of someone who's reading it, who maybe is reading it three years after that season ended, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, Garrett and I wrote a spec lost at one point. And that's a show that clearly stuff's going on. Both the characters that we were using were dead by the end of the season that we had written it for. That spec is no good a year later or two years later. Um, so, yeah, as as much as you can have your story start and finish within the script, don't try and carry their seasonal arc because if you're not paying off the story and I'm reading it, uh, you haven't really satisfied me in any way. Makes sense. Lisa Marie Miles, because I am answering your question almost one year later on my show, um, uh, I am going to see if she actually wrote this back. I hope she did. It's for one of my favorite shows. And Lisa, um, I will read it um, and analyze it for free. because it took I, I, it took me this long and that Shameless is the is penance. Show. I, I, it, yeah. you know, but I'm sure it'll be a great read anyway. So it'll probably be fun. Um, let's see. Okay. Anything else here that, uh, I can talk about. I think we got through a lot of them. Um, uh, let's see. Anything else? Hmm. I can preemptively answer a couple of questions. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> I think these are, thank you for, for helping me get through them. Sure. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, actually, uh, tell me um, anything that you learned this year that you didn't know? Well, in animation, I've learned that the script's never done. Oh, really? <laughs> um, you know, with live action, you kind of, shoot what you shot and it's very rare to go back and like you hear in movies about them doing reshoots, but in TV you don't have time to go back and do reshoots. You're going to make the show out of the footage you've got in animation. You're here's the first animatic. Okay. Let's change all this. Here's the second animatic. Let's change all that. Here's something that the animators came up with on their own. That's got nothing to do with the script. Oh, that's great. Let's do more of it. Oh, that's a bad idea. Let's do less of it. It's constant sort of, sort of tweaking. Um, trying to think of other. Okay. I've got another question for you. Sure. When people do watch trolls, mm-hmm. the TV series that will be coming to DreamWorks animation. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it'll be coming to Netflix to Netflix via DreamWorks, DreamWorks animation. Um, which, uh, which troll best represents the personality of you and Garrett so that as we're watching it, we can go, Oh, those are the writers. All right. I'm going to say, uh, I'm branch. Branch. Branch is the Justin Timberlake character from the movie. He's the, um, the, the thing with trolls is that they're all very super happy, bounce around, sing and, mm-hmm. and fun all the time. And Branch is sort of the one troll that's like, you people are crazy. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to say Garrett is 
uh, is Keith, uh-huh. which is a character that's in the movie but isn't named in the movie. I okay. think he's called Chubby Troll in the movie, <laughs> but um, you'll recognize him in the movie and in the show because he's um, not. He's the opposite of cross-eyed. His eyes go in the opposite directions. <laughs> I don't remember what the what that. So, so wait, you gave yourself or, Justin Timberlake, and you're giving him Chubby Troll who mm-hmm. has cross eyes. Okay, that's what he gets for not showing up. Got it. Got it. Got it. And that personality of uh, Garrett. Uh, chubby troll keith is just weird he's just <laughs> full-on weird in uh in the feature he's the one that's like um i like to watch my parents while they sleep <laughs> and all the other trolls go okay. oh no. oh god oh my god okay uh a last that, question that's what you get garrett <laughs> because um because we did start with you being the christmas guy sure and it wouldn't be the christmas season if we didn't go back to the fact that yeah you've still written a bunch of christmas mm-hmm. movies so if you were going for a feature, you're like, I'm going to write a holiday feature. Mm-hmm. Do's and don'ts. I would say um, the big draw in holiday features right now is is a different kind of family. Um, you know, there was, uh, if you're a la uh, love, was it love sick? The big sick. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you have any part of you that can write a story about an Iranian Christmas or what it's like uh, for a mixed family of, you know, um, Hispanic and Irish Catholic or something, just something other than the typical, just two white families from Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. you know, um, again, big characters, uh, you know, the sort of the, the more broadly you draw the characters, the more fun you can have with them. Um, but I think America is really looking for, uh, some different flavors on Christmas. Excellent. Thank you so much. You've been really helpful and you're really good at this. I know. And yet yet you didn't have us come back last year. You're good at this. Right after we had just finished another Christmas. It was my bad scheduling. I know. My, my lack of organization leads to emails being read a year later on the show (laughs) And my Christmas guy is not coming in at Christmas. To I, be fair, we we tried. It was just it was Garrett traveling, and I'm traveling, and you're traveling. Yeah, it's yeah. Impossible. I'm staying home for a little bit though, which I'm happy about. <laughs> um, okay, so for uh, all the things that are coming up, like Sigmund to trolls, um, even Gortimer, mm-hmm. um, where should people tune in? How can they catch? All these things. Sure, that Brian Sigmund, and uh, Sigmund and Gortimer are both available on Amazon Prime. Um, recently read a review that called Gortimer, it's called Gortimer Gibbons, Life on Normal Street. One of the best shows on Amazon Prime. Not one of the best kids shows on Amazon Prime. But one of the best shows on Amazon Prime. You know Prime. what? I it's saw that. It's a great that. review. I saw that. Congratulations. Yeah, I yes. Was, I was very happy with it. Um, those kids are fantastic. Those kids are going on to great other, other things. That whole, the entire series is there. The entire series of Sigmund is also available, mm-hmm. um, but it's very short. It's only seven episodes altogether, but also great kids. Super fun. Uh, and then Trolls, uh, I don't know when we officially start dropping episodes on Netflix, but I know that the um, Netflix has their holder place up. So if you go on Netflix and go to Trolls, you'll see a coming soon, you know, Trolls, the, the beat goes on, I think is the, the title. Beat goes on. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Also, everybody, remember to go to onthepage.tv to uh, see the classes, the recorded classes, um, some back episodes of the podcast that contain Brian and Garrett. Um, Lots of going back 10, 12, 13 uh, years. It hasn't been 13 years yet. It just feels like it's been 10. Um, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you noticed I've grown since then? I've, I've had a growth spurt. 
No. Have you? No, I just wish I had. Okay. <laughs> I keep telling my kids I've, I've due for a growth spurt. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, there's so much on there. You know, there's books and all that kind of stuff. Go there, on the page.tv. I'd love to see you. Um, also, don't forget about the writing marathons. And we've got a first draft class that is around the corner. And that will be first week in January through the first week in February. And it will help you crack your screenplay or TV show and actually write the damn thing. Yeah. How about that? Yay. And then you can be an employed writer like Brian Turner. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Pilar. Thanks to all of you for listening. Oh, wait a minute. One thing. This inbox thing Mm -hmm. for 2018. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you have a question that I can answer on the podcast so you don't have to wait forever for me to answer it uh, through email because I get so many emails, just put inbox question in your header and then we'll actually address it on the podcast. Sounds fantastic. It might not be right away. We'll gather a bunch of these, but I think we should regularly do some inbox stuff. Okay? I think you should, yeah. Yeah, that way we can answer questions because everybody's got the same questions, really. Um, and it all boils down to where do you get the food? Where do you get the food? I know. Who, yeah. who goes and gets the food? <laughs> so uh, inbox questions to me. Um, have a happy holiday. And now I can say it. Have a good writing week. Thank you.